Welcome back, perfect peeps, to Perfect Dad Deb. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design. We should probably talk about like the fact we're doing a crossover podcast. Yes. <laughs> you want to start with that? <laughs> I think so. I, I think uh, so. We're, we're actually talking about intros here, and uh, Compressed FM and Perfect Dad Dev have crashed somehow together and we're doing this crossover podcast so um i'll introduce myself i'm alex patterson i host uh perfect.dev with Brittany postma and i'll kick it over to you for now if we want to get deeper into what we do later yeah sure i'm Brittany postma i co-host the perfect.dev podcast with alex patterson and we also run codingcat.dev together and here we are in this crossover james if you want to give a quick intro for yourself yeah what's up everyone i usually introduce myself as a javascript developer speaker and teacher and i'm a developer media manager at all zero and do lots of uh, lots of video content is where i spend a lot of my time uh amy is my fabulous co-host on the compressed fm podcast do you want to introduce yourself amy yes i usually give a mrs doubtfire hello (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my name is amy dutton i am a ui ux designer and front-end developer uh, and my day job, I am a creative director at Coding Zeal. I probably no. should have included in there that I have a day job now at Granger. <laughs> well, the so good thing new. is I'm we'll have we'll have a perfect opportunity to get into all of that because today I think we're going to talk all about our different jobs, the roles that we have, the different responsibilities, and kind of compare and contrast and kind of learn about what each other does. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. So I'm I'm kind of going from a, a solution architect at OST here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, and then I was kind of playing a management role on the way out there. And then I'll, I'll be going more towards a cloud architect once again. So we can dive into that uh, now or if we want to go around and kind of give titles and stuff, that'd be fun too. I think, um, Alex, do you want to just lead us off and go in a little bit more detail about what a cloud architect is? I think like in a lot of these conversations, people hear about like software developer or designer, or maybe they've heard of developer advocate. Um, a lot of people that are getting into the industry don't know as much, I would imagine, about architecture roles. So do you want to uh, yeah, sure. just kick us off and tell us more about uh, what your role is going to look like, what you're going to be doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know fully what I'll be doing, but <laughs> in, in my past experience, um, I can kind of talk about it. So um, solution architects tend to work with your sales and your principal, um, if you have principals as well, um, kind of on the side of doing pre-sales and kind of architecting out um, MVPs or proof of concept solutions so they can deliver to a client and say, you know, here's kind of what you're expecting. It's, you know, really terrible version of it or a very quick version of it. And this is what we can do. And also, um, we've done things in the past that usually are right in align with uh, what what people are looking for and what they're um, looking to achieve. So you can kind of present that as well. But often it's it's just uh, in the cloud side of things. It's often kind of we need to get to the cloud. Uh, someone is telling us, you know, our our on prem solutions are are rough and they're dying off, and, and we need to get to the cloud as soon as possible to offset that. Or our, our CIO says our spend is crazy. We need to get to the cloud. So, any whatever reason that might be, what we end up doing is taking and kind of carving out and looking at their their infrastructure as it is today. And if they don't have any clue of how to go to the cloud, often we'll 
kind of lay out a few different options and pricing models for them so that they can make some some decisions going forward, both on the initial project cost and then ongoing costs as well. So it, there's a whole slew of things we can probably get into on that because it's it's nuts uh, depending on you know how much redundancy you need, how cloud-based you want to be, uh, are you Kubernetes, are you multi-cloud? Like it go on for days with these questions, but typically a company has a, a pretty decent idea where they want to be in the next like year to three years. And that's what we line them up for. So yeah, that's, that's it in a one minute nutshell. <laughs> it sounds like I love you that. need to know a lot of different technologies for that though. It's kind of crazy. I, I always have kind of taken my, my old boss's model was if you ever feel comfortable being a solution architect, you're doing the wrong thing. Like <laughs> you, and his, his line was always, get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, that's good. So I never feel like I know the answers 100%, but kind of using my background of you know 10 years in SAP and writing backend code to APIs to JavaScript node backends to front ends, which is probably my biggest passion on the front end side. So taking kind of all of that and, and combining it together with DevOps and <laughs> you name it, we've probably done it at some point. So um, I'd love to talk about at some point, uh, kind of that broken comb type of mentality or the T-shape of, of a developer and, and what that looks like. So maybe we can dive into that a little further too. Yeah. I, so a couple of things I want to clarify right before you do for people that um, may not be familiar with some of these keywords. Uh, moving to the cloud, the cloud in this case would be one of your major cloud providers, most likely like AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, et cetera. And then you talked about this like migration path from being on-prem to the cloud. So a lot of companies, and when I was at FedEx, we had a lot of this as well. They have their own actual servers, which like in the modern world of web development, we create a GitHub repository and we connect it to a Netlify uh, website or Vercel website or something like that. And it's automatically, there you go, it's automatically uh, hosted and everything's kind of done for us. But a lot of companies still have their own servers that they have to manage and they have to update and patch and all these things. And so they get a lot of benefits of not having to do a lot of those things by moving to the cloud. So in your position, you're helping people uh, and you mentioned pre-sales. So as people are potentially going to sign a contract or buy a service or a product or something, you're helping them understand what this migration path could be and the benefits that come along with it and how your product or your services can help them get there. Yep, absolutely. And then we continue through the project as well so that we're continuing that architecture throughout. So you know, a lot of times we're either moving towards a serverless model where, you know, you're, you're putting everything up and it's hitting cloud functions and taking off and it's event driven and, and things like that. So even though we've kind of laid it out and you've sold a project, you still need to figure out kind of where it's heading throughout that entire course and then work with your entire team, you know, typically in an agile practice um, to continue that thought through each sprint that you might go through and especially through your uh, PIs or your process. We don't have to get into agile, but let's just say the high level stuff that you want to want to figure out. That's kind of the next phase of that too. I could talk about PIs. I know. I don't want to go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to, do you want to tell us you started to talk about like this T-shape idea? Um, and I think this is something that people get mixed advice. Like you should be really technical or really niche into something and go really deep, or you should be like aware of a lot of different things. And so do you want to talk about what the T-shaped model is and how that relates back to your role? 
Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on the T-shape, but essentially, if if we take it just kind of as the, the literal letter T, um, on the top level, you're often going to know uh, a little bit about a lot of things. So that's that's the top of your T. And then typically what you want to do is take one domain and really go in depth. So that's kind of the, the vertical piece on the T there. Um, if you are like really happy where you're at and you want to do like front end and you're an, a JavaScript expert or, you know, whatever it might be, a PHP expert, whatever that is, like that's great to like have that initial T. If you're kind of getting through your career, like I'm, I'm probably midway through my career and I'm finding I need to like understand all of these different technologies and in order to become part of that solution architect or kind of somewhere in that realm, there's a lot of different verbs for that. Um, it's, you become more of a broken comb. So a comb like this has a lot of different pieces. This is terrible. I'm, I'm showing it on video. It's a horrible hand gesture I'm doing. Um, but essentially, instead of a singular domain you go deep on, you might, like, I consider myself more of a JavaScript expert, but I also had that ABAP thing for 10 years I wrote. I also did PHP. I also have DevOps that I go through. I have cloud technology. So now all of a sudden my my flat T of a lot of things have a little more depth to them all over the place. And that's kind of the next phase, if you will, if you want to grow in your career, you, you can totally like be happy and be an expert on one thing. I, I applaud people that can, I just, my mind doesn't work that way. I'm all over the place all the time. So that's kind of the difference between a, a T and a broken comb. I think I have a, a blog on it somewhere. I'll, I'll throw it out to you guys. <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that before. Me neither. I I think I've heard the concept in terms of verticals versus horizontals, but I don't think I've heard it described as a T versus a comb. But yeah, I think I like if you're in, sorry, go ahead. I just, I like the analogy. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And I think if you're going to be in development for any extended period of time, you almost have to be a comb to some extent in order to stay relevant. Cause you can pick a vertical to go deep on early on your career, but chances are it's going to change drastically depending on how long you stay in development. Yeah, and I think the the one big key I would suggest to anyone is, is try to at least feel comfortable in your main domain before you go chasing the rest. Like, it's okay to have that flat top piece until you get that, like, T-shape a little further because then you can have an expertise that you can rely on and always go back to if you want to stretch yourself, like, I had a chance to go kind of down the IOT path and I was like, Oh, this is cool, but I don't think I'll ever be an expert in that. So I got to like touch it a little bit. And I find like the more you keep doing that, you'll build up that comb as you go. I think a lot of our listeners are in the JavaScript space. Would we consider react spelt view, like all of those different pieces, are those even like, would they go horizontal? <laughs> would they just go down that JavaScript ecosystem or? Yeah, so that's a really good question. That's why I'm like, I, we could talk about the, the like broken comb and T forever because in my mind, like if you know JavaScript, you know any, you can get into any of those frameworks, right? Mm -hmm. the, yeah. the difficult part is that it, it takes a while, even when I have like someone that comes over from React and I'm like, hey, we're going to do an Angular project. Do you know RxJS? And they're like, no, I've never done that. And then it just blows their mind because they're like, whoa, what is all this asynchronous event stuff and how am I putting a dollar sign out on the HTMLs? Like they get all over the place and get a little flustered on it. But I'm like, 
Yeah, but you know JavaScript, and that's the key. So let's talk about that and focus on that. And I can build you up like, here's what a directive is, here's how modules work, and all those pieces. As long as you can break that down for somebody, I think that still fits in your singular domain of JavaScript. So you're just kind of building out that, that T a little further in my mind. That's something that Amy and I have talked about a lot is the idea of like, if, if you know JavaScript, especially like some people have mixed um, results with how they got started with a framework. But I think we both talked about like, we recommend starting with vanilla JavaScript and getting pretty comfortable with it and building a few small things before getting into a framework. And then as you're learning a framework, if you're just, if you're paying attention to like the concepts and the problems that the framework is solving for you, jumping to a new framework is, is that much easier. And then going to the next framework is that much easier because you've seen how uh, you've seen what they're trying to accomplish and none of the things that they're accomplishing are all that different. Like angular is probably the modern angular is probably the most unique out of the, out of the modern front end frameworks mm -hmm. because it's, TypeScript and it's got all these declarations and all these, it's a little, it's a little cumbersome, uh, but the concepts are still the exact same as what you would find in any other uh, framework that you might work with. Yeah. It's funny because Angular is probably what I'd say the most opinionated out of the frameworks and they fully will tell you that too. Mm -hmm. And I think Vue is like the next step down because you get all the packaging around it. So you still have CLI stuff. You still have um, TypeScript built in, um, React kind of didn't have that path because they keep fighting this uh, framework discussion. Like we're not a framework and it's like, okay, well at the end of the day, like I think when we start diving into like Next.js or something along those lines, you're kind of starting to become a framework, right? Maybe React itself is not. And I, I probably just lost half your listeners. Sorry, or, or ours, I don't know. Um, but I take it, Alex says React <laughs> is not a framework. Yeah. <laughs> Internet just blew up. Sorry. Um, yeah, but I think just to go back to like that that T shape or that broken comb piece, as long as you understand like the JavaScript portion of that, I think that's what React really drives home. Is if you know JavaScript, like just remember everything we do is JavaScript. Even when you're writing in JSX and you want to loop through something, like that's just a map command or a, a switch up in a function. Like that's all that is, and it's like. It actually was kind of fun for me. I was Angular first and then learned React just more recently. And it was, it's been kind of fun going, oh, well, this is so much simpler. And I'm always like expecting this. You missed something, Alex, like out of this whole thing. So anyways, I'm getting way off track. But yeah, that's that's how to build yourself up uh, in the in the cone shape. Because in that tooling set, now all of a sudden you're going to learn DevOps to deploy to websites. So that's another little piece. You're going to get to become a, a Git expert, right? Whether it's GitHub or GitLab or whatever it might be. Like, you're going to have to know that too. And now all of a sudden, like, you have all these skills you're building up horizontally. And as you develop those even deeper, now you're into that broken comb. And I think that's where you will end up wanting to be as your career progresses. Unless, again, unless you're perfectly happy making what you make and an expert in your field, that's cool too. Awesome. I think Amy would be good to go next because she has the designer and the developer. I do a little bit too, but she does it day to day, like both. So I think she has like two T's. She has almost got like, what could we call that? A shelf? Like <laughs> An upside a shelf down U? <laughs> or pie? <laughs> yeah. Pie symbol. Yeah. So um, I am the creative director at Zeal. And so can I we do pause really quick, Amy? Yeah. Is creative director new? <laughs> it is new. 
can we talk about this? Uh, can we can we throw this? Out? I, I didn't think want to so. stop you earlier. We better. But now it's I'm gonna... in public. I decided to commit what? to it. <laughs> Let's. Can we can we first hear that before you before you throw out this glamorous title and not explain to anybody? Just first yeah. tell us when this happened and what the change was. Well, I. <laughs> I started seeing it more on social media when they would refer to me as a creative director. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's my new title. Well, that's how this happened. <laughs> and so I just decided to embrace it. No, we've been talking about it for a while. So um, anyways, I just decided to make it official. <laughs> I think, don't we insert like the clap applause, like a soundtrack right here? Oh, I yeah, I think uh, my audio was like taking my sound effects if I was streaming, but uh, yeah, I think I mean titles are are a funny thing because it's not like my like day to day job. Zeal has changed at all. I mean, we're definitely trying to build out a design department and or want to push that aspect of our business forward. So part of that comes with the title change and helping out in those areas. But anyways, I'm still doing the same thing I was doing yesterday. <laughs> So um, my title previously, and actually, if you go to the CodingZill site, it will still say my previous title is Senior UI UX Designer and Front-End Developer. And so what I do on a lot of projects is I do the UI UX. So at Zeal, we create custom software applications that looks like just JavaScript applications. It's nothing too crazy like uh, Objective-C and things like that. We're just doing uh, applications for the web. And so I will create the interfaces for that. And I say it's nothing too crazy. You can put Chrome on a lot of things. So we've actually done some design work for hardware pieces that are running Chrome. Let me put this caveat. We did not do <laughs> the interface for SpaceX. But if you've seen a lot of the panels that I think NASA and SpaceX are both using, those screens are on Chrome and running JavaScript, which is crazy to think about wow. just the power that JavaScript has. Yeah, I'll include a link for that in the show notes. So we have done interfaces and applications for hardware systems. Um, and I do all the interface design for that. So I, most of our engineers are dedicated on a particular project, but because I am the only designer currently on the team, I mean, our part, one of, we have a partner that also does design work. He's mostly focused on the business side, but because I'm the only design, like active, I guess, designer on the team, I work across multiple projects. And I'm working hand in hand with project managers and engineers to kind of realize the stories that they need and design the, that acceptance criteria. And then I'll hand it off to an engineer. And then depending on the team, I'll also do the front end development on that. Um, so are we, you also want to talk about just day-to-day -day stuff that. Yeah. yeah I think so that would be good. Work through? Yeah. So all the design stuff that I'm do, I do in Figma. We previously were doing a lot of stuff with Sketch and Envision, but we migrated everything over to Figma, which is great because one of the clients that I'm working with right now, I'm working with their team of designers. And so everything is collaborative. If you've never used Figma before, it's a online design system. Kind of think of it like Google Docs for design. I can see other people working in the application, which is fantastic as we're trying to work from the same file sometimes, or even just the most recent file. And I'm able to hand that off to a developer and they have all the assets that they need. So I'll sit in meetings and hear what they're trying to accomplish. I'll talk about business use cases for a particular application. And part of my job too, is just to determine somebody comes to me and says, this is what I need. And to ask the question, like, is that really what you need? Or is there another way to accomplish this? And so just trying to ask a lot of questions. Um, I think that 
in any job is a really beneficial skill. And really what kind of separates maybe a junior from a senior level is knowing what questions to ask and being able to kind of get to the bottom of that. And then I will do the design and I'll review that with the client. And then once that is approved, they'll be, that'll be sent off to an engineer. So it's kind of the, the standard process. So it's a lot of back and forth. We work on a remote team and I think almost all my clients are in some capacity remote right now because of COVID. So there's a lot of Zoom calls and Slack conversations and things like that. Nice. I thought it was great that you moved to Figma, which is a web-based application yes. as well. And you're creating web-based applications. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Come full circle. On the, I'll talk a little bit about the tech stack. So we focus mainly on Rails. And just to be clear, I only know enough Rails to be dangerous. I can create like static marketing pages, but I don't do any of the crazy backend magical things that the rest of my team does in Rails. And then we do a lot of JavaScript as well. So we do, there's a couple of clients that we have that are purely React and using Next.js. Very cool. Yeah. So um, I don't do quite as much front end. I mostly, most of the stuff that I do is design, but every once in a while I'll get to do a little bit of So when you do development. front end, you do the CSS work for the software engineers? That's right. So there's one client in particular where sometimes depending on the workload, I'll design something and then I'll do the front end code and I'll hand that off to them. And so if it is a Rails project, I'll basically just create a static Rails page and then hand that page to them and they'll convert it into all the pieces and parts that they need. Yeah. I think, I think it's really cool that, that you get to be this like awesome representative of the mix of designer and developer. Cause like I've, I've worked with Amy as a developer and, and like the compressed FM site and some of the stuff that she's helped, um, build. And it's like, <laughs> I really look up to you for both of those things. Um, so going back to like that comb idea, I think it's good for people to know that like it, it's not necessarily a mutually exclusive thing. Like you can be really artistic and creative and you can like really be into design and you can also really be into code and make that happen for you. I mean, that's the kind of thing like employers are going to jump at, right? Like if you could, if you could come to the table and like be on both sides, of that, it's, it's like the advantage of being a full stack developer as well, right? Like you can contribute in multiple different areas that many other people can't. Um, I think that's really cool. So like, I guess general words of advice for people, like whatever your strengths are, even if they might seem random, like you can probably find some way to embellish that and like incorporate that into your job or you can find and search specifically for job opportunities that kind of let you be you and do the things that you really enjoy even if uh, some of them are a little different than just writing code every day yeah, yeah and i think i'd also encourage people that are just starting out i know early in my career people were encouraging me to pick something be a designer or be a developer pick which way you want to go and i kind of refused to do that but it ended up working out to my benefit i think and some of it too, I think depends on the size of team that you're working on. So my team is about 15 ish people. And so that allows me to do a little bit more. Whereas if you're working on a very large company, like Alex is going to be a lot of times they need somebody that's a little bit more niche, but it really just depends on what you want to do. And then a lot of times, I mean, sometimes you can even apply for a job and then they can change the job based on what your skills are. If it's the right company, they're, they're willing to work with you. Yeah. See, so I think it's great that you kind of 
you started out building your broken comb already. Like you, you said, no, I'm not going to be an expert at design. I'm not going to be an expert developer. I'm going to do both. And so like you're already building out your ends and kind of uh, all the rest is coming into play. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. And just the way that my brain works, I almost need both to coexist. Mm-hmm. I will do a lot of design stuff and then I'll almost kind of just feel creatively dry and need a break. And so I'll switch over to code. And a lot of times I'm solving code problems while I'm designing something and vice versa. So it really does work out in working, I guess, both sides of my brain. I think creativeness or creativity, they say, is what left side and coding is right side. So just trying to live in the middle. Yeah. I think I could definitely talk a little bit about being the niche person here because I uh, recently got a job. So I've only been on the job for three weeks now and it's very new. I don't even know how many people work at Granger Total, but it's a very big company. But I said, if I was to get a job and stop freelancing, I would need something that was working with Spelt, was CSS and design systems. And so all of those things, bringing like, I have a graphic design background, bringing that design into it and working with something I love like CSS and the framework that I love the most felt. And I somehow managed to find that. And I found that because I've been learning in public, doing this learn, build, teach philosophy that James came out with. I've been blogging originally when I was learning to code. I wrote a bunch of blog posts basically notes for myself to um, let myself have a place to go back to and to review everything that I had learned. But I also wanted to put it out there as kind of this digital garden space where you could share your work with people, other people could benefit from it. And I think that's one of the greatest things about learning in public is that you may be writing something a little bit different than somebody else that may affect someone differently. They may hear it differently from your perspective than they do from somebody else. So I did a ton of blog posts in writing that blog. I did a react course. I've talked before with James actually on his stream about how I jumped into react way too fast. And I did it probably within six months of even learning to code. And I felt like I was underwater. Because having those JavaScript fundamentals, I really like am big on that now because you need those fundamentals to know what's going on under the hood or you're going to get lost in a framework. So I did that. I did my blog in React and then I switched it to Sapper at the time, which was a Spelt framework, and I was obsessed with it. And so I moved everything that I had over to Sapper. I kept writing the blogs. I eventually started making tutorials. So I did the SpeltKit tutorial for Off Zero. I've done a, a Spelt talk on the Spelt uh, Society channel on YouTube. And I've just done things here and there where I've been a big proponent of Spelt in the community. And I went for one interview. I just saw this job. I was like, this looks like the perfect job for me. They were looking for someone who knew about design, design systems, and CSS, and it was working with SpellKit. And I was like, okay, this is the perfect job. So I saw it and I applied. I redid my resume that first day and I applied for the job the next day. I got a call back and I had like a sit down interview with kind of their recruiter person. And it was like to see if you're a good fit. I talked to the manager of the team that I would be on And then I had another interview with a developer and a designer on the team. And then 
after that, the recruiter called me back and told me I had gotten the job. So I did like one set of interviews, but I was like floored that that was, but it was just that I had done so much learning in public. They saw that I was a big proponent in the community with Svelte Kit. So day to day, I um, work on the design system. Basically, we have an internal design system that's a back end that we build just single components out like buttons, a um, checkbox, a whole like cart flow, like we will build those out and we will push those out and they are consumed by other dev teams. And we also are moving our design system onto our own SvelteKit project. So I am the person with one other front end dev that works on that design system. So basically documenting each of our components, how you would use it in a Spelt project and basically teaching our other dev teams how to use Spelt. Cool. So that's like your own custom bootstrap or foundation. Yes, exactly. So it's our, um, a design system is basically like where you take each component and it's designed to a specific way to fit your company's standards. So that is what we are doing on the back end in Spelt Kit. And then I'm documenting each of those pieces in our new system. That's awesome. Are you doing any unit testing on each of those individual pieces? I am not. We do have testers on our team that um, cool. once my work is done, it goes to them. Got it. Um, one thing that I've wanted to ask you about for a while now, because I've heard you mention it in several places, is the digital garden. I absolutely yeah. love this concept, but I can't get myself to put out something that's not like Perfect. it's only half baked. Yeah, exactly. So for anybody listening, there's this idea of a digital garden where basically you're publishing these notes as you take them. So a lot of times when I'm learning something new, I will create a file. I call it my log of actions where I document all the things that I do so that if I ever need to go back and figure out, okay, how did I set this up? What do I need to do to replicate this? I have my own internal documentation to refer to. So a lot of times a digital garden might be actually publishing that instead of keeping that to myself, but it feels a little strange to me to publish it before I have my thoughts around it. It's polished. I mean, how do you feel about it? Yeah. Um, I should have said too, I think it was Maggie Appleton who came up with this digital garden and we'll have to get that link for the show notes. Um, I know Chris Biscardi also has been a big proponent of the digital garden, but I think for me, having the design background, as long as the design was there, I didn't care so much about what the words were. And I would do a lot of Udemy courses when I was first starting out. So they were short videos and I would just make sections. And so if I finished a video, that was a section. And so as long as a section was done and it was broken down into a piece, I felt like it was complete enough if that makes sense. So it doesn't have to be like the full thought, just like a section is done and that is enough to go off. Do you ever go back and revisit those posts to add a little bit more thought around them or insight? Yes, I do. And um, I went back after learning more modern CSS stuff and redid, like I have one on just like um, HTML and CSS. And so I went and I redid some of that. I'll go and I'll add thoughts. Some of them were around Udemy courses. So they were, um, more like as soon as it's finished, it's finished and I'm pretty done with that. But yeah, if there's like a new update to something, I would go back and update it. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I love Maggie's site. She actually has like a filter on her site where you can go between sapling and evergreen. And then there's a middle one where you can see the evolution of a post ones that she considers are really thought out and real well, well-rounded and other ones where she's just trying to get an idea out. I think that's a great way too for you as a designer, if you wanted to add a feature like that, where you know that if it is a well-thought-out one, put that label on it. And if it's mm-hmm. not, then don't. Yeah, it's definitely something that I want to experiment with. One of the, not to go <laughs> too deep down this path, but one of the things that I've really been thinking a lot about is developing, actually I reached out to you, Brittany, about this, is developing a community, not like a discord community, but a community that shares more resources and kind of thoughts around this, but just a place where I can share some of these notes where it's not, I don't feel like it has to be this long 1500 word blog post. It can be, these are some notes that I took. And if other people are willing to contribute or add thoughts around that, I think that could be really interesting. I am constantly like telling people about Party Corgi, but seriously, that community has been so helpful and instrumental. They have a learning in public or building in public channel or something like that. And they're all so helpful in there. So, I mean, that's a really good place to like start out just to get like tips and hints on what you should be like starting out with and how you can get yourself out there tips like for your setup. If you're a streamer, there's a lot of content creators on there. And that's awesome. I'm a member, but I haven't dug too deep into it. Sometimes I just get overwhelmed with discord. Yeah. It's really easy to just be a lurker and that's fine. And they're, they actually say that that's really cool. Like you can just lurk if that's what makes you comfortable, but there's so much good information in there. Even if you are just a lurker and you just want to look through Discord has the search functionality. So just go in there and search for what you need. Learn, build, teach is really good for that too. That will Mm -hmm. be a sneak peek to my perfect pick later. (laughs) (laughs) So James, I'm interested to hear exactly what DevRel means. I know that's not officially your title right now. I know you're a content manager, but you still kind of fit in this DevRel role-ish. But I have in my head what you do every day, but I'm curious if perception matches reality. So what does your day-to-day look like? Yeah. Uh, So developer DevRel, first of all, is uh, developer relations. So typically that would be like a team. And then on that team, a common uh, title you'd have for an individual would be a developer advocate. And so these are like really, uh, they're not customer facing people. They're like developer and community community facing people. So although like we work a lot with salespeople, like I never refer to anyone as a customer because I'm not, I don't care if they spend money. Like it's great if they do with Osiro, but my goal is not for them to spend money. My goal is for them to have a good experience and learn how to build stuff as a developer. So a lot of like the most, probably the most traditional thing that you hear of developer advocates doing is speaking at conferences. And this has been a tough couple of years to be in developer relations during COVID. Um, Like my expectation coming into the role was uh, probably like one trip a month to a conference to speak. And obviously there up until recently, up until a few weeks ago, had been no trips. Um, So I did a lot of uh, virtual talks, which I got really burnt out on. And so I've I've more or less kind of shut down on that. I I enjoy joining podcasts and just having conversations, but doing doing a talk is, is just not as fun as it is in person. Um, so because of that, like, I think a lot of DevRel has changed in the last couple of years to be much more video heavy and, and audio for podcasts. But 
uh, video heavy in the sense that like we had had a Twitch channel, but never really done anything with it. So we started that um, a few months after I joined. Um, we had had a YouTube channel and not been consistent, didn't really have a strategy with that. So those are two things that I was pretty heavily involved with uh, the first year and a half or so that led to then uh, my new title as uh, the developer media manager, which is a lot of our uh, YouTube content, a lot of our uh, format or a lot of our content that's targeted at developers uh, other than our blog because we had to have a dedicated content team. So I think like it's just it's changed in the sense that it's much more digital. But um, the cool thing is like and this is really what I was looking for, like <laughs> at my last job as a software developer and I was a solution architect for a bit, Alex. Um, I like I would spend time on Twitter during the day, right? Because that's that's I like I learned so much, and I'm part of the community, and I want to be a part of it. And I actually like specifically wanted to get back into a role where that was part of my job. So I spend time on Twitter to be a public facing person, to be engaging with people, to be asking questions and sharing things that I learn and build, learn, build, teach again. And uh, I'm in Discords and Slacks and all that kind of stuff. So it's really cool for me to have a job that pays me to create content, which is what I love to do. I love to speak at conferences and create videos and uh, do podcasts and that sort of stuff. But I also just get to be like a genuine member of community. And anytime I've talked about DevRel in the past in terms of what you do, like this is hard, hard to be specific, but like first and foremost, I want to be a genuine member of community. I want to be out there. I want to be one of like one of the people just like your average developer, creating stuff, learning stuff, sharing stuff and um, and being active in a few different places. Are there any like projects that you are involved in long-term? I know that a part of your job is going back and forth between the community and the developers to say, here's a gap that I see. Do you help see any of that through or is it just a point of communication? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because that's another, that's probably like the the missing piece of what people don't understand about developer relations is how how it's intended to be a, a public facing feedback loop for the company, for the product uh, specifically. So like, as I work with developers and they have questions or if they have complaints, especially that feedback on, on what we're missing or what could be better or what is better that we have that someone else doesn't, that sort of feedback is like invaluable for us to pass on to our product teams. And um, so that's a lot of, a lot of what we do as well is, is try to gather that information and pass it on. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that I'm like actively involved after that point. Like I think the feedback loop is, is just kind of getting it there. And then as, as things get worked on, we might get a heads up because it's something that we particularly cared about, or we gave the feedback to add. And then after the fact, after we add a new feature or, or some new SDK or something like that, um, a lot of, a lot of what we do is collaborate with those product teams to be able to promote those updates. So we might create a video or a live stream or write an article. So we get requests um, to support some of our internal teams to raise awareness to some of the cool stuff that we're doing as well. Do you release those through all zero or do you release those through your public channels? Yeah, this is, uh, this is an interesting balance that I get asked about a lot as well. So for me personally, my, my personal brand is 100% my personal brand. So if someone, if someone at Off Zero said, hey, can you publish this to your YouTube channel? Um, and it's not something that I would authentically already do, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I 100% have control over that personal brand. Or I might say, hey, this could, you could sponsor me for this amount of money or something like that. Um, so I think like for me, that's really important because like I've built up a personal brand. And if I move to another company, which I'm not looking to do, but if I were to, I don't want people to know me 
as the Osiro guy. Like that's a part of what I do, but I don't want to only be the Osiro guy. I want to be, I want to be a guy who works for Osiro who can help you out and answer questions and like help, help you build things. But I also want to be so much other, so much else. Right. And I can bring that to a, to another company later on. So um, all of that stuff about product announcements and and things like that would would 100% be on the Osiro channel. And I've done, I think there's like two videos on my personal YouTube channel that include Osiro. And that's cool because naturally it fit for me and I wanted to. It's not because I did it to gain any notoriety at work. It just fit just like any other product would. Yeah, nice. Did you find it hard getting into a developer relations role? Well, I have an interesting background in the sense that I actually started as a technical evangelist fresh out of college with Microsoft. And this is not, um, I would say it's not super common. Um, Also at the time, like Microsoft was hiring a decent amount of people out of college um, for this role. So like at Microsoft, there was a decent amount of us, but in general, this not, it's not a very common path for people. And especially like as you're in college and you're looking for roles, most likely what you're going to see is like software engineer or tester or Mm -hmm. something like that. You're not going to see developer advocate. So I had that on my resume before I went to FedEx. I did development there and architecture for about three and a half years total. And then, like I said, I missed being part of the community. I missed speaking at conferences. I missed uh, doing more videos. I wanted to not spend only my personal time doing that stuff. So I was looking to get back into uh, DevRel, it was a different title, but basically the same job as what I are very similar to what I did at Microsoft. And at that point, like I had created 150 YouTube videos. Now I'm over like 300. Um, and at the time I was also writing for a platform called scotch.io from Chris Sev. So like I had a resume, but my resume for that particular role was mostly like, go look at all this content that I've created. And Amy and I have talked about this, like that sort of stuff, the benefits of creating content really go for, go well for you even if it's just a software uh, engineering role right like you can prove that you can document and speak and that sort of stuff but especially in a developer advocate role i've given 50 conference talks i've created 150 videos i've done 50 articles so those things i could bring that to the table um as my as experience that's directly related to exactly what they were looking for yeah great point how much does new media play into what you're doing? Like, I know you've been experimenting with TikTok and things like that. Like, at yeah. what point do you decide I'm going to go in on a new platform? <laughs> Can I first do an early shameless plug for myself on yeah, TikTok? Please. <laughs> I please. had um, I had a video that crossed a hundred thousand views on TikTok. Like, okay, literally... so the last <laughs> time we talked, you had a viral video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that video is, this a new is viral video. This is this is the same viral video. Um, okay. Are you funny. rapping in this video? I'm not, but I need to do more of that kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, take like it's it's kind of random. Like none of none of my other videos have obviously done anywhere near this well, and this one just went viral. But I don't know. Like um, I think the the biggest thing to keep in mind when you explore new media is how much effort it takes to do it well, and this is why like. Like I lost my Instagram account and I just kind of reclaimed it, but I haven't done anything with it because I like if I'm posting a TikTok and I'm doing YouTube videos, I'm on Twitter, I don't really have the time to do Instagram. And so it's not it's not going to be worth it for me to post one picture on Instagram and then leave it like why? What's the point? Right. So I think the biggest concern is when you're exploring new media or just new potential commitments is looking at how much capacity do you have on your team? How big is your team? Like what support system do you have? And for us right now with Twitch, 
we don't have a lot of that. So we've gone through some changes where we've had people move into management and we've got um, me doing a slightly different role. And so there's not as many people to do something like streaming. So we've really uh, toned that down because we don't have the ability to commit to it and really do it well. So we've taken on, uh, we've, we've committed to TikTok. Our plan is to, um, I don't know when this will be launched, but in the next month from when we're recording uh, is to create the TikTok account and uh, start it off with some content. So we want to have ideally like 20 pieces of content before we actually launch so that we can have those in the queue to publish and not have to record them all real time. Um, but that's going to be, that'll be an interesting one because it's a, obviously a completely new platform for us. And we've got a few people that are bought in. Uh, we think we have the buy-in and the support, but we'll see how it goes. That's really cool that you get to explore like all these different, not only like different technologies, but you also get to explore like different media types and content types. Yeah. And I will, I will say to that point, like I did developer advocate at all zero for a year and a half or so. And having conversations with my manager and director to say like, hey, I, I want to grow as um, maybe an individual contributor, maybe a manager. Um, and I want to kind of tie it into the stuff I'm already really interested in. I do YouTube videos on the side. Um, I want to do more of that sort of stuff. So this is an opportunity for Osiro to, to like prove that they believe in me and create this opportunity for me. Like this is a made up job title that I, like maybe exists at other companies. I don't know, but it didn't exist at Osiro before. So I think that that is really special for me uh, to feel like I'm at a company that believes in my growth and like goes out of their way to provide opportunities for me to grow. That's I do want to take a step back. Yes, it is amazing. <laughs> do you want to take a step back and ask you another question? You um, have mentioned a little bit about strategy and talking about capacity, but do you have any overall strategy in what you post, what topics you post? If you notice some people are responding to a particular type of content. Do you go all in on that topic immediately? How do you creating variety of content? What's your strategy there? Yeah. Um, so I certainly have thoughts, but first off, I'll say that like we haven't had much many spikes on uh, like YouTube specifically is probably the most relevant. So as much as I can like give you advice and tell you what I'm learning and what I think uh, that hasn't necessarily like played off to the point that you might expect maybe, but um, I think what was important for us when we when we started doing YouTube videos with kind of like, I don't know, we'd like lost several people in DevRel and then kind of a new wave of us came in. And we wanted to focus more on technical content. Like how do you, like a tutorial of like, how do you actually build something? And that seems to be what developers uh, or people that view our channel resonate with most is actual like hands-on writing code tutorials. But the other thing that I've learned, especially for my YouTube channel, is is that's not enough. The, the titles and the thumbnails, and I've talked about this a lot on different podcasts, make like all the difference in the world. And if you look at the growth of my channel, so much of that in the last year has come from me figuring out how to phrase things to make people be interested while also still providing value to them. Like I don't want to be clickbait to the point where I lie to them. I want to make sure that I'm clickbaity to the point where they're interested and then I provide value when they're there. And that's a really tough balance. So we've started to experiment um, more with that with our thumbnails and titles at Osiro. I will say like, I, I don't think we've seen as much results there. So we still got some figuring out to do, but that's certainly something that we're going to experiment with more. But one of the best videos that we've had in the last year or so was, uh, it was like no JS authentication in 10 minutes. And you hit that like time limit thing. There's something about a number in the title. 
that like people are like, oh, I love the number. Let me check this out. And then also the thumbnail caption, like the text on the thumbnail says, don't waste time with auth. And like, I can just tell you, like, it's a good tutorial, but it's just as good as any other tutorial we have or not any better than any other one. But I guarantee you people see the thumbnail and they're like, ooh, now I need to know where I'm wasting my time and I need to watch this video. So that's the kind of thing that I think we need to continue to play with, experiment with, uh, pay attention to feedback. What comments uh, are people leaving? Thumbs up, thumbs down, ratios, that sort of stuff. And then also just ask. Like I, I'm trying to be a little bit more active on our community page. I haven't been super active. Our community posts on uh, YouTube to say, hey, we're thinking about creating some tutorials in, in this category. What do you think? What would you be looking for? What questions do you have? Yeah, most That's of the really time, good. this stuff is like just about grabbing people's attention. I mean, they're scrolling through these feeds. You need something that will catch their attention. And I've also heard that something about the thumbnail on YouTube, it plays to YouTube's algorithm to get you higher ranking. So mm -hmm. like just and trying to catch people's eye, I mean, is one of the things, unfortunately, I mean, there are people out there searching for specific content, but more likely you're just going to pop up in their feed. Yeah, YouTube used to be much more of an SEO game, um, like making sure your your tags and stuff were right, which is still is still important, I think. But now it's more it's more focused on basically how do you get on someone's homepage for discoverability, <laughs> and that comes from YouTube basically gives you a shot, and then after people see it, how do they respond? So looking at like uh, click-through rates and impressions and that sort of stuff, that then causes YouTube, if they're high, to push it out more. And that obviously that's how the stuff goes viral because now YouTube is like, okay, people are responding to this. We need to get more and more people to, uh, to have visibility to it. So yeah, it used to be much more SEO driven. Now it's like, how do you get your stuff on the homepage for people and, and put it in a way that a high percentage of them are going to click and watch? Yeah. I was listening this week to a podcast. Um, I think it's called the Nathan Berry show. Nathan Berry is the host. He is also the guy behind convert kit, but he was interviewing Ali Abdal. And I've mentioned Ali before, just because I'm really fascinated by everything that he's putting out on YouTube and kind of his business strategy and his content creation. But he said, and I really like this. He said, I don't like the term clickbait. I would rather call it interest bait. And I'm really mm -hmm. trying to capture somebody's interest so that mm -hmm. they'll stick around and listen to what I have to say. That is, yep. that makes perfect sense. And maintaining, maintaining that balance again is hard because I've clicked on plenty of clickbait titles and been very disappointed and very frustrated by the content that was there. And that's, that's a line that you can't cross. Like I think personally and at all, so you're like, we'll experiment to the point where we'll probably cross that line at some point. And then that'll just like be our boundary that we never cross again but you can't consistently cross that boundary and you can't do it in a way where people are like genuinely upset. Cause that's how you lose people really quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think, can we take a step back on all, all of the kind of discussion around we're all, except for maybe Brittany, uh, pretty like along in our careers at this point, Brittany, I don't mean that as like a, a hurtful <laughs> comment. I just know it's your first job. Um, how for each one of these jobs, and uh, it's in my mind because Danny Thompson, we did a Twitter space um, a little while ago, and all we were talking about was how to get your first job like in tech. How would you suggest like getting started on that first one? And and when I say that, what I mean by it is um, we, we were talking about your first job 
and your second job even isn't going to be even close to as much money as you make as your third, as much knowledge as you need, all of those things. So I'm kind of curious, like if we go like Amy, if you want to go first, how did you like approach your first job and like build upon that for people that are listening, just trying to get started? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm the best example because my first job, I was still in high school and I was answering phones at a agency and they just slowly moved me over. So I was creating, uh, sorry, it says my camera blast. You, can you guys still hear me? Yeah. Yep. You promise you're not a empty okay. I'll keep, picture. I'll keep like talking and then I'll figure out the camera situation when I hand it to somebody else. No um, yeah, so I was just answering the phone at an agency and then they slowly had me start actually working on client projects. So it's a little bit different. Obviously I was not making nearly as much money then as I am now, but my second job, well, I guess then, then just slowly I found jobs to follow things that I was interested in. My second job actually had nothing to do with web development. My second job, I was using more of my major. I was creating videos for a camp and then kind of swung back to web. So I just started to try and follow my passions and what I was interested in and wanted to be at places where I felt like I was doing the stuff that I wanted to be doing. I spent a year over on Music Row, which was great. It sounds really luxurious and it's fun to name drop in conversations, but the truth of it was I was only doing development work there and I really wanted to be doing a lot more design work. When I talked to them about possibly moving over to design, they said, you're fantastic at development. We really just want you to stay in development. And so that was kind of a cue for me that I needed to start looking at other places where I felt like I could really maximize all of my gifts and my talents. Um, in terms of trying to grow in with your salary, unfortunately, a lot of times, at least in my experience, you almost have to move jobs or switch unless, you know, James has talked about this before. Um, sometimes you, you like, if you want to increase in salary, you really have to advocate for yourself and be willing to ask for that. And maybe that's just why I found that in a job switch is because that becomes a natural point of talking about money and asking for an increase. Yeah, it's a really good point. When I mentor people, I'm always, even if I love the company, which I have loved several companies, but if it's not a perfect fit or if you're looking for that next thing, I always mention to them, the company is looking out for themselves. You need to look out for yourself. So just make sure what's in your best interest and your family's best interest, you're taking care of that first before you just say, well, sure, I'll take the standard 4% before you like go look elsewhere. And they're like, no, you're amazing here is 20% more money, like pay attention to that. Like at least try. I know, I know uh, interviewing is very difficult. So kind of getting through that phase is, is hard. Maybe Brittany, you could talk about it. You've, you've done it so recently. Yeah. Going through the interview process. I mean, I don't know how fair it is for me to talk about it because I did like one set of interviews and I know like, I mean, you went through a ton of interviews and you may know more than me, but like, I felt like it was basically because of what I was trying to do. I had the work out there kind of like James talked about earlier. If you have that content out there that they want you for the job, they don't need you to prove yourself so much in the interview. So I, I kind of got a little lucky there or 
maybe lucky is not even the right word. Maybe like I had the foresight to like put myself out there. I didn't even know I was doing it for a job, but putting myself out there, like allowed them to see what I could do. I think that's a great point. And there's many ways to do that too. Um, so like if you're just getting started, there's a ton of individuals that are amazing. They can code loops around me, uh, laps around me, or whatever you want to say. Um, Unintended. There you go. Um, <laughs> and quite literally though, they do not want to go through the interview process because it is so nerve wracking and I don't blame them. Like to your point, I have been through some significant interviews. They take weeks and weeks and it's hard for sure to go through that. But I think if, if you are that person, and you know, like you're in introverted, the other thing you can do, and I just put this out on Twitter this past week. The first thing I tell everybody, go get your GitHub updated do as many projects as you can, try to make them as unique as you can, and then update your LinkedIn. Like point it to your GitHub, say I've done X, Y, and Z. I guarantee people are going to come and like ask you about fulfilling these jobs that we have. Tech is still just so under, um, we're behind. Like we, we need more jobs. Like there's tons of them out there and people are looking for them. So go get them. That's why I say we actually have a whole podcast with Lori Barth talking about her interview process and switching jobs from Gatsby to Netflix. And I, I think that's a really good listen to kind of about the interview process and what should and needs to change in the industry. Honestly, yeah. I'll have to give that a listen. I think the thing that I really love about this whole conversation is the fact that we are all in tech, but all of our jobs are very, very different. And I yeah. think that just goes to show that you have lots of options. You don't have to just be sitting at a computer typing every day or creating YouTube videos all day. If that's not your thing, there is a place for you, regardless of what your skill level is and regardless of whether you're an introvert or extrovert. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of us have somewhat of a common thread as far as development. Um, I know like design is a piece and cloud architecture, whatever. There's all that pieces of the broken comb we talked about that are out there, but we kind of have a common thread of development. Other people, I was just chatting with someone this weekend and she's she took a pause. She raised her kids for five, six, seven years, whatever it's been. And she's like, I'm, I'm so, it's so hard to like get back started again. And she, I'm like, get into tech, like you will find a job. And she's like, I don't want to develop. I don't know how to develop. I said, there's project managers. There's like QA people that learn how to code on like, just from a, a UI standpoint, clicking around, breaking things. I'm like, there are so many jobs to get into. Just find something. And that gets back to that your first job is not going to be the same as your second or third job. So just get in the door and you'll learn a ton. That's my, my honest, uh, opinion. hundred percent. I'll give a couple of, couple of my, like I could, I could talk about this stuff careers all day long. The thing that I'm like most passionate about is, is taking control of your career. And most people go through life and don't consider themselves to be in control, right? Like they, they're at a job and they're lucky to be at that job and that's what they got. And that's what they're going to be with. This is what I grew up in my family, like my entire life. Like that's, I never saw someone go out there and say, I want to do this and go out there and earn it. Like it was just, they were where they were and they got laid off and they found the next thing and that's what it was. And so like the first thing, Brittany, I'll like aggressively pick word, pick different wording for you. Like when you, you mentioned lucky and you started to correct yourself too, like finding that opportunity and not having to quote unquote prove yourself during the interview is not luck. It's not for anything 
it's directly associated with the work that you put in. And most people don't realize that. And they especially don't realize that about themselves. So like when you, like, if you, if people are looking at what, what they think they want to do, like go and find out every single thing that that person does at that job, at that company or in that role and go and do those things. Like all of us are developed, like we have development skills. If you want to work in Svelte and Svelte Kit, you can go and do that and create content exactly like Brittany did and go and earn that opportunity to the point where like, you don't need to go through the interview process because you've already proved yourself. Like you've already earned that reputation. And so I think any, every step of the way, people should look at like, what is it that I want to do? What are the steps to get there? What are those people doing that are already there? And how am I working on that every single day? Like my, one of my biggest passions is if you're not doing what you love every single day, that's fine. It's not going to change overnight, but what are you doing to change the trajectory of that so that you do more of what you love and less of what you don't. And if you're not working on that, you're, you're kind of going to be stuck. I actually agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. I think that you, you need to find what you love. And that was really hard for me. Like I liked graphic design and I was like, I want to do something with design, but I didn't know what I wanted to do until I found coding. And once I found coding, I was like, oh, this brings my design to life. Like I can interact with it. And then I was passionate about it. Find something you're passionate about and then look at people that are doing that and copy for lack of a better word mm -hmm. them. Yeah, absolutely. And reach out to those people, ask them if you can have a phone call with them. I had a phone yeah. call with Wes Boss like early on after he had kind of started to establish himself, but much before he became the name that he is now. He gave me his phone number and we had a phone call for like 30, 45 minutes because I was looking to get back into content and I wanted to ask him questions. And I think going back to like salary and stuff, like Amy pointed out, you you have to ask. Like I can't tell you three or four jobs where my wife Jess has left and they like she's been so good that they're like, what can we do to keep you? We can give you more money. And she's like, no. And they're like, we can give you a lot more money. And in my head, I'm like, y'all really suck. Cause like, she's not the one to stand up for herself, but she absolutely, like, she's never going to get paid what she should unless she does, because like, companies are going to do what's right for them most of the time. Now there are companies that have done really amazing things for me, but I also look at that and like, not to be egotistical, but they did those things because they don't want to lose me. Right? Like if you make yourself that person, they're going to go to bat for you. And they're, they may even preemptively pay you money or give you made up titles because they're the kind of you're the kind of person that they want to keep and there was a thing b dougie from uh, github talked about this recently i think on his podcast the jamstack podcast uh, or jamstack radio and he was talking about the idea of interviewing every six months and if you're not interviewing every six months you're kind of missing out and i think the like that's a little bit of an exaggeration to me but if you if you go to the table and you say to your manager i think i deserve more money for x y and z they can say no. And if you don't have any other option, then you're limited, right? But if you are always putting yourself out there, you're always entertaining conversations with people, you're taking interviews every six months or a year. Now you're in a spot where if they say no, you can say, okay, well, I'm looking at this other company for this amount of money. And I guarantee you, either they will change their tune of how much money they'll pay you, or you'll go find a better job that pays you more. But you have to be kind of proactive in looking and exploring for that uh, to have to make sure that you have options. Otherwise, you don't really have much negotiating power. And you keep yourself in that interview headspace, because like mm -hmm. you said, the interview process is hard. And yep. I mean, it's a it's a skill, honestly. So you keep that skill set fresh. I, I always find it's like protecting yourself too. Um, yeah. just anytime 
like 2008, I went through it. It was rough. You walked in and every day if the light was blinking on your desk, that was your day that you're out. So ever since then, I've just like always been kind of protecting myself and looking for that next thing. And maybe it's terrible because it puts me in this like mode of, oh, no, I don't have anything next. And uh, maybe that's not OK. Like my dad worked at GM for 25 years, to your point, James, like that was his that's, that was part of his identity, really, and he could never break out of that. And I'm always scared to kind of get stuck in that. So I think the field that we work on is amazing because it opens up so many doors and opportunities. And you can be willing to shift around, um, especially if some 2008 hits all over again. So. Yeah, or, or 2020, right? Like we've been yeah. through it again, and a lot of people have had to find different, different things. Um, and some of those have worked out really well for people. Like I've seen, I've seen people get what I would say, what I would say, like really exciting jobs after losing something during 2020. But for a lot of people, it's been really tough. Um, and so, yeah, I think you are, you're always like, if you ever leave a company, they're going to backfill you. Like you're as good as you are, as good as I am, like they're going to find somebody else to do that job. And so you need to kind of make sure that you're set up for, uh, for something goes wrong like that too. Brittany, you're in charge of the shift. Go. <laughs> All right. I think that that is a good transition here for us to transition into our perfect picks and picks and plugs for Compressed. Um, Amy, do you want to go first? So um, I'm going to pick a, a menu bar app that sits at the top of my computer. Sorry, this is Mac only, but it's called Meter. That's a, you love those Mac only apps. I do. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I haven't used a Windows machine in like 20 years. Um, anyways, but I will, I mean, I use Mac, I mean, not Mac, Windows, Microsoft, Microsoft programs. So we have VS Code. I like live in VS Code. Um, but this program, Meter, what it does is I have all these different calendars and things that I'm trying to manage, and everybody has a different meeting link. So, some people will have me go to go to meeting, we'll have Google meetings, there'll be Zoom links. But what it does is it sits in my menu bar and it tells me I have 15 hours and 30 minutes until my next meeting. And when that meeting comes up, a notification will come up and it'll have the link right there for me to click on. So I'm not having to dig through my calendar to find all these meeting links. So it Ooh. has been very helpful. Does that integrate with uh, your Google Calendar and Outlook? You could try. That, that I think could I just have favorite. it. Yeah, you could try. I'm not going to commit one way or the other, but I mean, it's cool. Okay. I can click on it and I see my agenda for tomorrow. So, um, but yeah, meter M E E T E R. <laughs> um, so for my plug, I'm going to plug advent of CSS.com and advent of JS.com. This is a project that James and I are working together where for the month of December, you'll get 24 challenges in either CSS or JavaScript, whichever one you pick, or you can go with the bundle. You can get the challenges for free. So just go to the website, give your email. We'll send you a challenge every day, or you can also pay for the solutions. So check that out at adventofcss.com or adventofjs.com. How do I get my chocolate out of the Advent site <laughs> each day? <laughs> It's a metaphorical chocolate. Oh, I wish we chocolate. could figure out a way. <laughs> you should put like an Easter egg in there. Like if they get the right solution, find a way to put it in there and then it pops up a chocolate and it opens. Oh, that's a great idea. You need like a coupon to M&Ms or something. I 
I'll throw this in the back of your brain. I was going to say, stop giving, stop giving Amy ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's really bad. I email him at least or message him at least once a week, if not once a day and say, this is a new idea I have. And, here's and they're, the all they're all amazing. They're all amazing. But GitHub has an education tier where you can create these repos where students can come and take these challenges. But the cool part that just blows my mind is you can also set up testing for it so that when they submit it, it'll automatically run your tests to see if they accomplished whatever task you gave them, which I thought was really cool. Uh, let's see, Brittany, do you want to give a pick and a plug or two picks on the perfect Perfect. Yeah. Side. So my perfect pick is the Learn, Build, Teach Discord. <laughs> so if you go to learnbuildteach.com, that is, uh, we'll redirect you to the Discord link. And we are a community of, I mean, we have content creators, we have developers, we have designers. Amy covers the design channel in there. We have the Compressed FM channel in there. So pretty much anything you want to talk about, it's a great group of people. And my second pick is for Foundation. It's an Apple TV episode or show uh, that just started. And it's kind of a futuristic planetary space series. And I don't know much about it. We've watched two episodes, though, and I'm pretty addicted to it at this Um. Cool. Uh, so for my pick, I'm actually going to give, I'm going to give two picks and a plug, although my plug is going to be to double down on what Amy said, but my two picks are like totally different worlds of things. So the first one is I was in the studio in Bellevue outside of Seattle, uh, our recording studio at all zero and a piece of equipment that we have is the road micro go. And so if people have heard of like lapel mics, um, lapel mics are great because you can like plug them into a camera or a phone and then run them up your shirt and have them really close to you. So you get pretty clean audio, but you're tied to a cord and you can get like a 20 foot cord and drag it all the way around. But the Rode Wireless Go is actually a wireless version of this. So you can have the receiver and plug it into your camera or phone and then also have the actual like lapel mic and clip it to your shirt. And in addition to this, the lapel mic is, is kind of bulky. So it's much bigger than your traditional lapel mic. So you can also plug a regular lapel mic into that, um, the like road lapel, and then have really good audio from your lapel up to your shirt and then move around completely wirelessly uh, to wherever you want to go. So that thing uh, is really, really cool. And um, I've got one now at home that I'm going to start playing with, which I'm excited about. The other side of this completely different world here is I Amy knows that I've been reading the diary of Anne Frank and I just finished it today and I was in like such a weird emotional state for a long time like I walked out into the uh, kitchen and I was like Jess like Anne Frank died like I knew this and probably everyone does but it, it's such an emotional thing but it's also so eye-opening for like worlds that seem so far apart but also in some ways just like aren't that different. So it's really interesting if you just want to like go up through this emotional roller coaster, learn more about different times and different cultures and stuff like that. And unfortunately the negative aspects of that too. Uh, but that was really cool. And then for my plug, I will plug advent of CSS and advent of JS as well. Um, Amy and I have uh, been really excited about that project and are excited to, to share that with people that are interested. I have heard of people going to Anne Frank's like, where she was that's mm -hmm. like a museum now yep. and uh having complete breakdowns so mm -hmm. 
it's a it's a tough one for sure yeah and i've unfortunately i've been to amsterdam several times and i've never been able to get tickets to the museum so next time i go i will plan very early to make sure i get some yeah i was in amsterdam and they were completely i didn't think of it beforehand they're completely gone i couldn't get a ticket so same we'll go together let me know when you're going yes sweet team trip we could have we could do a uh, another crossover episode in Amsterdam. That's what we'll do. Oh, I love it. Let's do very, that. Very cost effective. Um, so I will uh, I will continue Brittany's thought on on foundation since I I had that one in my backlog too. Foundation is incredible. By the time this comes out, it's probably going to be most of the episodes that are out. I think, but it's this futuristic tale, um, and it's. I don't even want to give anything away. If you like anything like Doom, like it's it's that amazing. So Doom will probably be out in theaters once this comes out to you. Check that out. But anyway, so that's that's my first pick as well. Um, my second pick is Google Dev Fest. I've taken over the the Google Developer Group for Grand Rapids, Michigan, and that is interesting to get going, uh, but fun at the same time. It's it's another new challenge for for me for this year, um, but. DevFest begins, I just had the date and lost it. I believe it's October and goes through November, December. So don't quote me on those times, but it's basically all through the fall winter session. So check out Google DevFest. There's amazing um, groups you can get in touch with and events going on throughout the entire uh, kind of season of that. A lot of different meetups will have different activities you can check out. And then Google will be doing uh, things on their own as well. So check that out for sure. Uh, my other plug is going to be I've I've tried and I'm hoping to continue this uh, doing Twitter Spaces every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern. We just kind of pick a, a subject that's been coming up and open up the floor to anyone who wants to speak about it. And it's been amazing. We've had you know hundreds of people on listening and had multiple speakers and it's just an incredible way again i think it takes away that um people with insecurities about uh, being on camera so it's just an audio version only and you can come on and just chat about your story and i think it's been super uh, beneficial so far